Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, I'm very excited here because we are actually starting a new podcast. So this is the Neural Audio Programmer Podcast. Uh, so this is a little bit different from our other podcast, which is the Audio Programmer Podcast, in that we're focusing specifically on neural audio and AI and machine learning and the advances that we're making in the audio space. Uh, so I have two very special guests with me that you may have seen on our channel before. Uh, we have Andrew Fife, who is the CTO at Newtone. How are things going, Andrew? Yeah, good. Excited to be here. Great. And Andrew is actually tuning in all the way from Japan. So tell us a little bit yeah. about uh, how things are in Japan. I mean, it's good. I mean, uh, I've not been here like super long. Like I, I actually moved over here in January um, of this year. And um, before that, I was uh, based in Scotland. So yeah, originally uh sort of born and bred in glasgow scotland so um and uh yeah so it's quite fresh for me being over here but i've adapted pretty well i think and uh enjoying it so far so that's awesome yeah. we'll talk a little bit more about that later and then i also have christian steinmetz who is another face and name that you may be familiar with in the neural audio space and he is a PhD researcher at Queen Mary University of London, but he's been doing a lot of traveling around the world uh, as well. So where where are you at the moment, Christian? Because it feels like every time we talk, you're in a different location. Yeah, I mean, that's partly the life of a PhD. I think you can be moving around and constantly going to different things. But yeah, I'm, I'm calling from Boston uh, today. And uh, yeah, I like to spend a bit of time out here during the summer. About to head back to London very soon, though to continue working on my PhD. That's amazing. And I just think it's it's great just to have a moment just to think about and be appreciative of how this fantastic industry has given us the opportunity to travel, travel around the world, see different cultures. I think that's one of the most exciting things that I've really appreciated about being in this industry and in audio programming, uh, meeting amazing people from around the world. And um, and that goes a little bit into what what um, this podcast is about, uh, specifically for neural audio. So, um, Christian or Andrew, can you just talk a little bit about how this uh, podcast came to be and how the idea uh, started as a seed and it's grown into something that's become a reality? Yeah. Uh, Christian, do you mind if I... Yeah, go for it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I guess like... Um... This is the the start of uh, something that both um, you know myself and uh, Christian initially like chatted about uh, sort of exploring exploring more, and we we wanted to uh, initially run a, a competition on uh, neural audio, being both researchers in this area, working in this area. Uh, we we both uh, shared a sort of passion for for neural audio and uh, deep learning applied to to audio and music tech. So uh, that's that sort of led this idea for the neural audio plugin competition which was the sort of what we did before uh this this you know launching this um uh, podcast um and i think the success of uh the competition that we that we launched uh, before this um really wanted us uh, made us um want to discuss this this field more but there was growing interest uh, that we saw from the the success of that um uh, the competition and I think um, you know it was we, it took us by surprise uh, as you know both uh, researchers working closely in this area, um, we thought it was more of a niche than 
what it is now there's a lot of research going on in this area and a lot of exciting things happening and hot topics obviously as well um and yeah i guess the the amount of submissions we had for the, the neural audio plugin competition uh i think it was like 19 in total which was crazy you know we didn't i think all of us didn't expect uh, that amount of participation um and um you know amount of interest um so based on on that result and the excitement and buzz around uh, the discussion of neuro audio and um sort of ai music tech we we have kind of now wanted to take that forward uh, and discuss more of these these topics um because there's more and more people in the area researching uh, this uh, there's more and more movement happening there's more and more challenges uh and philosophical challenges and ethical challenges and all sorts of things that we need to talk about and, and i think this is the best platform to kind of to take that forward and open up that discussion and go uh, more in depth so yeah, definitely. And like you said, that neural audio plugin competition that happened earlier this year was very exciting. It felt like we were just really flying by the seat of our pants, really just trying to trying to deal with the response and um, trying to answer so many questions. And I was I was really surprised as well. I remember I think I, I remember saying at the very beginning that I was hoping that we would get uh, at least like three or four submissions that would be amazing and yeah to have 19 submissions and they were they were really widely varied as well so yeah uh, uh, what what were uh some of your favorite ones for me i think the uh the mixing the the dj mixing one was one of my favorite one it, uh, it was called hard and uh basically the concept of that was that if you had two songs that were that were in uh, a different style that it aimed to actually crossfade those styles together. So if you had a dubstep song and a house song, you could, as long as those were tempo synced, essentially what it would do is it'd take the dubstep uh, bass and synths and throw it over the house beat or vice versa, the house uh, melodic uh, structure and put it over the dubstep uh, drums. So stuff like that is really exciting. And obviously, of course, it's something that it would need to be refined to become an industry type of uh, product. But I thought that was very outside of the box. How about yourselves? What were your, some, of, some of your favorite ones? Yeah. I mean, I actually had the same favorite as you, Josh. Uh, I really liked that, uh, that plugin. And I actually, just to mention, um, I saw that the author of that plugin actually just published their paper that describes their algorithm as well, like maybe just this past week. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I am put it onto my to read list basically um, because I think even there he was including a lot more discussion on like how his method was actually working, which was actually novel in itself. You know, he was actually created some new uh, architecture aspect in order to actually create that effect, which I also thought was super amazing for a competition of, of this scope. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, equally, yeah, it was a, uh, I think, fascinating like that, that one in particular, like the, the way it decoupled those like the harmonic and rhythmic like components in that way. It was like a really interesting, uh, use, um, an application of of uh, sort of neural audio. Um, I mean, for me, uh, personally, I'm kind of fascinated in you know this idea of extending, 
tom tombra qualities and tombra and um sort of augmenting tombra in different ways and so i think um a lot of the the sort of tombra transfer uh um submissions that were you know experimenting with um the real time tombra transfer um like cyclone and combobulator they were like interesting uh i think submissions um also, you know, I guess a little bit biased, but like some of the <laughs> the Newtone submissions were were awesome as well. But I think I think you know, in particular, if I had to 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 rate one, I think I would go uh, with the the one that was first place, Cyclone, just for the how great the interactive experience was as well when um, working with that kind of technology, which is which is very new. And I think that's one thing, um, you know, that we're exploring um, currently is. Um, you know these different ways of interfacing with uh neuro audio technologies and i think it's like a a really interesting new challenge is how do we as artists and musicians and producers interact with new new technologies like this so yeah yeah you bring up a great point and and there are two points that i that i wanted to talk about there one of which was the uh the companies that supported us for for that competition um, and I want to shout them out really quick. Big shout to uh, TikTok, uh, Juice, Cosmo, uh, Cycling74, MathWorks, and GPU Audio, and uh, and also uh, the audio programmer for uh, for supporting the for supporting the competition. And piggybacking on that, uh, some of those sponsors were obviously uh, purveyors of of uh, various plugin frameworks, uh, plugin workflows, and that touches on what you were talking about, which is that, uh, that this, this new, these new exciting possibilities also create new demands in the way that musicians and creatives want to interact with, um, user interfaces, interact with, uh, the, the things that they may want to typically do in a plugin. And I know this is something that we've talked about in the past, um, offline a little bit, which is just, looking at the plugin formats right now and seeing if those are enough to um, to bring in various neural networks and bring in those workflows, or if it's more worthwhile to start thinking outside of the box and start looking at different types of workflows uh, and uh, and seeing what those bring to us. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? I know, Christian, you know, you've had some opinions that you've expressed in the past on that. What are your thoughts on where this space of neural audio uh is going do you think it will that that it'll be mainly confined to vst au formats or do you think that there's something else on the horizon that could be uh that could be coming yeah so i think that's a really definitely a deep discussion um but to get give just some of my high level thoughts on it i think right now we're kind of seeing two predominant paradigms. The first one is what you just mentioned, basically kind of traditional VST-like development that kind of means that you design some plugin around the restrictions that already exist with VST um, and try to implement your AI model in that way. And you might end up having to do something sophisticated uh, in your plugin to like work around the, those limitations. If you want to do, for example, communicate with another track in the DAW, for example, you might have to engineer some you know, sort of backend server that's sending information back and forth to do that um, or have other hacks to do it. Um, and and it, I think that what that really has resulted in is largely less development in 
plugin in the plugin space with regards to kind of the potential of AI. Um, like there, there could be a lot more that could be done if we could remove those restrictions. Um, and so I think, you know, maybe in the future, we will see new plugin formats or uh, advancements on the plugin formats we have now that kind of try to facilitate that. But I'm more skeptical on that. It might, that feels like something would take a very long time. So I think right now, the other thing that we see, the other paradigm is kind of browser-based or, or other kind of outside the DAW, uh, or like outside the native DAW um, ways to use AI. And so there's kind of a few different um, web-based DAWs out there, as well as those that are in development. Um, you know, I think BandLab being a popular one uh, that's, you know, gotten a lot of traction as like being just a dedicated browser-based DAW, you know, they have a lot of control over what happens and, you know, they can have inter-track communication if they want it. So that could be a platform where AI actually could have like more immediate impact potentially. Um, and then there's other ones that, that come to mind, like um, Never Before Heard Sounds uh, as a startup that's been working on kind of similar types of applications, specifically for this idea of like having AI, an AI first web-based DAW. So like if I rebuilt the DAW from the ground up, but took into account, you know, the fact that I can have stem separation, that I can have timbre transfer and stuff like that, how would I like integrate that into a DAW? And so I think seeing where that goes will be really exciting as well. But for me, the big question is really, you know, adoption, I think, around those kinds of things. So like, I, I'm skeptical, I think, as others are around like, professionals adopting browser-based DAWs. Um, and so I think that's going to be a big challenge, like for the field moving forward of how do we kind of get around the limitations of native plugin formats, you know, without using browser-based DAW. Like, I don't, I don't have the answer to that, but it seems like uh, you know, people really favor kind of the traditional plugin paradigm actually as it stands now from like a workflow perspective. Um, but we still have to kind of figure out a way to work around those uh, limitations. Yeah, and you bring up a great point, which is that it's actually a multi-layered problem because it's not only the uh, plugin formats, but it's also the current DAWs as well. Uh, so you have yeah. a, current, a couple DAWs that are very, dominant in the market right now, uh, FL Studio, which actually just came out with uh, stem separation, interestingly. Uh, you have Ableton, Pro Tools, Logic, and also trying to get those workflows in. And uh, as you know, with those traditional plugin formats, it, it can be very challenging to uh, get it, uh, a lot of the things, a lot of the workflows that you want within a neural audio creative process involve being able to read from other tracks, being able to know more information about what's happening within your project that uh, many um, that many dolls don't willingly give out. So you do, so it's very difficult to get that information into the uh, into your I'll just call it a creative process, your plugin. Uh, so uh, any thoughts on that, Andrew? Yeah, I mean. I'm definitely uh, agree with a lot of the stuff that you guys have been saying there um i think um what i've seen is like over the years kind of exploring this uh this area plus uh being you know traditionally working as a, a plugin developer um is that yeah it seems to be that people are um hesitant to adopt sort of new workflows it's, it's very slow moving uh for example you know the most uh 
easy example to refer to is just how we're you know you're still using MIDI like you know standard MIDI and uh, even though with the new MIDI uh, 2.0 uh, coming out and stuff like that is it's been relatively I think slow in like being like adopted into uh, some of the, the DAWs and being adopted by the musicians and producers them, themselves and um, I think um, you know it's the same with these new technologies as well it's like trying to find ways that um these technologies can fit like you know slot into workflows that people are familiar with and uh and and used to and it's not it's not creating too much uh like friction or, or bringing them too far out their their comfort zone so that they feel um yeah they're, they're more um, likely to accept uh, these new technologies and in their workflow um I think that's one thing. I think, and that's maybe more like in the short term. But yeah, obviously in the long term, my hope is that we will migrate more to, uh, to uh, formats and um, applications that are cater that cater for and are designed around the the, the new uh, sort of um, research and and technologies that are coming out in AI and uh, machine learning and stuff like that. And um, uh, and that. You know, there's a lot of people that are striving for that already, like uh, Christian mentioned, um, the web, uh, you know, DAWs and uh, sort of building from the ground up with like AI, AI first. Um, and, but again, it's just like it's trying to get people to adopt the new technologies. It's trying to make it seem appealing. And I think people kind of like, like to um, layer on like their tools, like, you know, they have a collection of VST plugins that they use in their workflow and the production. It's like they want to kind of add things to their their current workflow. I think that they, they have a handle on rather than jumping between too many, too many different things. But I'm not saying that that's a lot of people also like to do that. And that's that's totally fine. But there's there's also that audience that are quite they, they kind of like to say uh, stay within what they know. Um, so, again, it's like trying to cater for for both of these these two things like trying to have tools that fit within common and familiar workflows but also you know trying to also think about moving towards uh more optimized and efficient uh workflows and uh, platforms that actually you know are catered for the new advances in, in technology as well so um yeah it's an interesting challenge i think yeah do you think that that the web is really going to move up in terms of uh, use in the pro audio space? Do you see that coming along more and more in the coming years? It's difficult. Um, I mean, it has a lot of potential, I, I guess. Um, you know, I think there's one, there's there's definitely a, uh, something to be said about like distributed uh, processing as well. So like trying to move processing like off of, um, especially like when we're starting working with even like heavier weight um technologies like moving the processing off of the local machine and onto like um more distributed uh way of like processing and uh audio so um there is that uh potential you know eventuality that we all we all go down that that road because it makes things could potentially make things really quick and you know they can do a really heavy processing not on their local machine um so there's that advantage um but I guess again, in, in in the in the short term, like it's it's hard to move people from what they know onto these these new uh, technolo technologies. And I think the the one of the biggest downsides that I've seen with the new web technologies is that um, 
you know you can't bring <laughs> what you know with you you know easily you can't bring your plugins with you uh to start working with them in the door um so it, it feels like you're kind of you need to you almost need to like you know cut part of you off and sort of say, let it go and say like right i'm starting starting a clean slate now with what i know and um into something new uh and yeah maybe maybe with the new generations um uh, you know people coming up like uh, that's that's the kind of what we'll see happening but um there's definitely a lot of people that are that you know aren't aren't budging and want to like hold on to what they know so it's an interesting challenge yeah yeah and you um i think one big question there is just really trying to round down what are dolls missing today or what is it that that we would need from a doll in order to be able to um have the type of types of workflows that we that we would like one of them is more information about the session right so like specifically what what information would we like about a project session that that we that you would think would be helpful for for people who want to use these workflows what 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 sort of things so like you got tempo what what other things would there be yeah I'm, i think it actually really even goes beyond that in my mind um and i i feel like the easiest way to frame it can be kind of the eventual goal you know for me it really is kind of like the ai co-pilot for your doll so it's actually less about just having some information about the session it's actually about any action that a current human audio producer can make in the DAW, the AI system should be capable of making that action. And obviously you can see that that opens up a super high level of complexity because you're kind of asking for a complete API into each and every DAW, which you know are completely, one, they're completely hidden from you in most cases, uh, except for something like Reaper, which has an API, but it's fairly difficult uh, to use from a developer perspective, but it, there is kind of something there, right? But then you look at things like like the, the most used DAWs like Ableton or Logic or, or Pro Tools, like there's kind of there that kind of level of control is completely opaque uh, to any kind of user. Um, so I see that as a huge challenge. Um, but kind of back on our earlier point of like these different paradigms of what exists now, right? Like we were saying, okay, one, you could build a VST plugin that's kind of an AI model that's with contained within a VST. You could build your own DAW essentially in a, in a web browser and then you kind of have full reign, or you might be one of the few people that already own a successful DAW uh, product like Logic or Ableton, right? And I think those players are in an interesting position because they would have the ability, right, to implement some of these features. And, and like you mentioned, Josh, um, FL Studio adding stem separation is kind of one example of that um, that we've seen recently, like where kind of the established player can kind of make a move that would impact a lot of users without the users having to at all change their workflow, like, you know, Andrew was saying. And I think that's super powerful because what I see right now, when you look to kind of the research side of things, or like the latest developments in kind of neural audio stuff, it's very much kind of a all or nothing when it comes to workflow. Like, like if you want to use AI, you kind of have to give up everything that you were doing in the normal DAW to like go work in some other land, which is like a collab notebook or, a, or you know, some sort of code on, that you're running on the terminal and stuff like that. And it's completely removed from your normal workflow. And a lot of the times you have to also give up kind of any control that you have that you would have had in the other parts of the process. So if I think of these like, you know, recently popular, like text to audio models, like I type in a text prompt and get some 
audio signal, right? I can like synthesize now like a some section of a song that has multiple instruments playing at the same time, but I don't have control over those individual instruments, you know, in the way I would in a DAW, right? Because now I just get back like a stereo audio file and within that has a bunch of different components, but I can't actually edit them or get at them, right? Without changing, basically changing my prompt and passing that to the model again. And what I really, I think one major challenge you know, and what I would love to see, you know, eventually get resolved is kind of merging the world of traditional DAW with kind of these AI uh, tools, right? So, you know, I could generate some, you know, thing with a text prompt, but then I would have the ability to, you know, edit each individual component. I could go in there and edit the MIDI note of one particular instrument that was being played, and I could add a compressor to the drum kit or something like that, um, you know, using traditional DAW-like tools to do that instead of this kind of like fully opaque system now that where I give up complete control and all I can do is type a text prompt, for example. Um, so I, I think that's a fundamental challenge and I'll be interested to see, you know, which of these kind of paradigms, you know, become successful in that. And maybe there's another one that we haven't considered also. Do, do we think that the near future of that will be uh, of our interaction with AIs within DAWs would start off with text prompts. Would that be kind of your first point of contact for that? Or do we see things going further in the way that we actually interact with these systems and collaborate with them? Yeah, I'm personally very skeptical of text prompts as like an interface for these kinds of things for, for many reasons. Um, one of the, the two main ones I'll throw out, I think the first is as anyone that's worked with audio will, will know, like trying to describe what you want when it comes to sound is really difficult with text. Um, and even humans trying to discuss about how should this snare drum sound different, you know, we'll go back and forth about what they actually mean. Um, and I think you can get somewhere with it, but it's probably very frustrating. Um, and that's why a lot of kind of sound, uh, it's like the sound design process and kind of getting a sound you want is actually a lot about exploration, right? Like in some cases, you don't know where you're going. You're just like, oh, what if I turn this knob or what if I pick, you know, this preset that's like punchy kick seven and then I listen to that and like kind of like I'm just going through this list and I'm, it's not actually about like any semantic information that I can write down. It's just even I'm just like clicking through every single possible option until I find what I want and I, I know what's right and what's wrong, but conveying that, you know, in text is really hard. So I think that's one fundamental limitation maybe from audio. And the, I think the other uh, one that I would raise as well is, I think this is true of text interfaces interfaces in general, which is that they have very poor uh, kind of affordances to the user about the possibilities that they enable, right? Because if I just show you this blank text box and you're a new user, you're like, well, what can this system do? I don't even know what it's capable of. So I might try to type some things in, but maybe it can do something that I don't even know, I didn't think of that it could do, right? And I think that's interesting when you try to compare like some sort of AI pro audio processing model to let's say a traditional VST audio effect. You know, the designer of that VST audio effect sat down and thought about what were the parameters that I should expose to the user that would be useful to help them find, explore the space of possibilities of this, you know, DSP. Um, which is that when you then kind of remove that and just put out a text box, that's actually in some sense a much lazier or less curated approach, you could say, to building some sort of interface here, right? Because now the, there's no designer deciding, you know, what are those knobs, what are those parameters? And the user now has a huge burden to figure out what can I even type in here? What, where should I start? Where should I go? And so I see that as a fundamental challenge also. Yeah, it almost like creates like 
sort of paralysis <laughs> you know yeah there's too many options um but at the same time like trying to uh yeah tap into some of those options uh, through text is is yeah is challenging so yeah i agree with christian on that i think um you know interfacing uh especially in the the uh our interface design in the audio domain music tech domain is um uh is, is completely different to how we're seeing these text interfaces being used in, in other in other areas um and i think uh, it doesn't really apply apply the same um you know there's there is a element of, as christian said of kind of um feeling about in the dark for something that you that you kind of want to uncover or you know uh, just ex- explore um and i think just sort of trying to double down on ways to intuitively give uh sort of hooks into um an exploration space that gives uh, to get that gives some kind of uh sense of contr- control for the user or some sort of um feeling of like they're steering um you know steering the ship and 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 exploring different sonic possibilities uh, i think is important and i don't think i don't quite think you get that same experience with with uh, text for example um so again, that's another really uh, interesting problem, and I think VSTs and plugins have made, uh, you know, over the years have really uh, allowed for a lot of different kinds of interactions to be possible when exploring sound. And I think that's one of the good things about audio plugins, uh, even though they have their the technical limitations that maybe don't uh, aren't so nice to work around uh, when working with AI. When it comes to like um, creating a, a sort of an interface into controlling um audio um it's been we've seen so many different kinds of of uh, ways of of uh, exploring that i guess and giving different ways of interact interacting with things from 2d to 3d to all sorts of kind of experiences so um yeah there's there's pros and cons i think to what we have now and where we want to go uh, so yeah yeah very interesting um, you brought up you brought up a couple great points. Um, one of those is about um, not knowing where to start when you're presented with the text box. And I know for me, when I don't know where to start, the first place I want to go is somewhere familiar. So I want to, if I'm thinking of a snare sound or I'm thinking of a kick sound, first thing I want to do is I want to reference something that I know. Uh, and uh, LLMs for, of course ethical uh, reasons and for, you know, other reasons as well, uh, data reasons, uh, a lot of them prevent that, prevent referencing uh, known songs, known artists, things like that. Uh, and I think another thing that's really interesting, and I, and this is my, this is my personal observation, seeing, you know, hearing commercial music now in this, um, uh, you know, over the past, you know, 15, 20, 30 years is that as we've, as the possibilities have grown, now we have, you know, access to any sound that you could pretty much possibly imagine. Uh, any plugin is at our fingertips with any type of workflow, any type of emulation, pretty much that we tend to just all generalize towards a middle, towards a middle ground. I don't want to say we all, but many of, uh, many of us or many people tend and we don't see this just in music. We also see this kind of in fashion and so many different um, sectors, how there's a generalization where everybody 
the possibilities are so immense that we all just kind of say, okay, I'm going to go back to the 808 snare drum and the 808 kick. I find that very interesting being that in the, in the eighties, you of course, you know, had the invention of the 808, but there were a lot of people that were trying to be creative uh, in exploring outside of that. Um, you know, like I was watching a video um, recently about, Michael Jackson's Thriller and they were talking about the Lindrum and about how they were using special modules to actually modify what the Lindrum, what sounds the Lindrum could actually make uh, and just trying to find something that was a little bit different. So everything, everything then was about being different. Whereas I feel like nowadays when we're presented with the, the immensity of the possibilities of being able to make any sound, we all kind of generalize towards the same. And I'm wondering if there could be a potential problem in that space, if we were to go towards a workflow where we could say, well, anything is possible, just type it in and, and reference whatever you want. If you want a Calvin Harris song or a Calvin Harris style synth, you can just say Calvin Harris style synth and it'll pull it up for you. Uh, any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, some, some good points, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, so I guess like, you know, the interesting thing that you're talking about there is this idea of like referencing something. Uh, and I think, um, you know, people like to reference an idea or, or some sort of sound or some sort of starting point um, before they then try and do something with that to try and make it their own. And I think, uh, yeah, that's that's something that's very difficult to get from these text-based text uh, um interfaces uh, and technologies where you're like you're saying anything is, is possible so that sort of makes you think that maybe yeah the text interface will not sort of be the main adopted way going forwards or uh, interface going forward for working with AI technologies and instead maybe uh, there be interfaces that you can essentially yeah drag and drop sound files and things like that you can have as a reference that then you can then augment and maybe you can fuse things together for example like i want some of this and i want some of the components from this this sound and that sound uh and that and then sort of almost like yeah finding this interpolated space in between that creates something a bit uh, a bit different um or you know having something that you know we've seen some te technologies where you give a you can give a reference sound and it it could best fits like the the parameters of that particular tool to try and create that sound and then you go right well i know these higher level parameters i've got something that fits this but this kind of sound but how can i now augment that with the parameters that i that i know and have into intuition of so like changing this and changing that changing the dif different parts of the frequency or different effects uh and create something that's uh, i guess personalized to to you um, I think that is a potential avenue for things to to go. Like, and we're already kind of seeing some of these um, interfaces emerging already around this kind of idea. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't imagine, even though there's a huge buzz around the whole LLM and text interface, uh, I don't. Even though it might have its place, you know, within modern music production, uh, I don't think it will be the single most like you know 
that is the interface to rule all interfaces. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll within this medium we'll um, always be exploring different kinds of interfaces uh, to give a kind of the user uh, a higher uh, sense of control of you know the music um, making process. I guess. Yeah, sounds like uh, the next frontier may be a bunch of three dimensional point clouds. <laughs> um. So switching switching gears, uh, one one question that I wanted to bring up that we've talked about in in private that uh, I think people may be wondering is why we decided to call this the Neural Audio uh, Programmer Podcast rather than the Music AI Podcast or uh, anything around AI. I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, about some of the difference differences between AI machine learning neural audio and some of the other terms that we may be hearing around this space. Yeah, sure. I can say a few words about that from my perspective. Um, you know, I think it, it's, it's also a lot um, motivated by kind of our choice in how we designed the NAP competition uh, as right last year, right? Like this idea and how we kind of defined a neural audio plugin. I think it was kind of inspired a lot by that. And if I recall correctly, kind of our definition there was this idea of, you know, using um, a neural network approach or kind of similar approach um, based on kind of the most modern predominant type of machine learning technique that's used now um, and integrating that into a plugin, basically. Um, and that means, you know, it doesn't mean like, right, one view of that is it means that like, oh, you need a machine learning model that's like manipulating audio or synthesizing audio in order for that to be true. But as we kind of said, we could kind of loosen that all the way to say, well, it could actually be a machine learning model that controls certain DSP components or makes decisions based on something, you know, external signal. Um, or for example, even does something like transcribe the the audio into a MIDI notes, right? Like those are all things that would qualify even though they might not appear to be kind of what you would think of as neural audio plugin at first, right? Um, and so I think we really wanted to kind of stick with that kind of focus, right, for this podcast, because when you start talking about music AI, we could also just start talking about a bunch of other topics um, as far as like, you know, uh, music recommendation or things like that that are also really relevant. but. Um, not what we wanted to focus on like in this podcast, which was really about kind of around, you know, people that are working uh, as software developers or as researchers, you know, in the space of audio where um, we're kind of using these models as tools often uh, for creative people or in audio production um, or in, in video games as well, like kind of where there's this like aspect of using neural networks and kind of deep learning models specifically for these kinds of audio applications. Yeah. Any thoughts, Andrew? Yeah. Um, I think um, you know, one of these things like when we're when we're talking about neural audio and these tools like neural audio plugin, for example, um, I think it gives, you know, I think we we all collectively agree on this as well. It kind of gives a better um uh idea of what what it is that is powering the the um the plugin and the, and the technology it's um one one i feel like with the using like throwing around terms like ai it's kind of sometimes making things more ambiguous uh it's also kind of kind of potentially um 
making the the tool that we're we're creating seem like intelligent uh, and I think that has a lot of connotations and, and potential conflicts, uh, especially when we're when we're working uh, or producing tools for artists and musicians. Um, this idea of something as uh, intelligent and uh, you know approximating human intelligence um, sometimes can, uh, I guess, sound threatening uh, and and to some people. Um, and I think neuro audio um, and sort of saying that it's uh, plugins and uh, software. Uh, that's driven by and powered by neural networks is a kind of truer um, reflection of like what it really is. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're trying to create uh, new tools that are designed with uh, novel te technologies, um, powering them uh, to tap into something, something new um, or to do something that's uh, potentially useful uh, and, you know, improve a workflow, for example. Um, it's not always necessarily about trying to replace the human component and replace humans with this uh, intelligent, you know, tool or intelligent system that's uh, trying to approximate human intelligence. So I think, yeah, I guess like, you know, there's there's a bit of of that. I think in the in the discussion when we were talking about it before, and I think uh, yeah, keeping it to like neuro audio uh, allows us to kind of really isolate uh, the technology and the technology on or the technologies that are um powering these new tools uh, rather than sort of um making it sound ambiguous and putting this the kind of the ai um kind of buzzword over it um that might not uh that might be sort of ha or have sort of different connotations negative and positive i guess yeah yeah so so it sounds like you're talking about the need for these processes to remain in a collaborative type of context rather than something that's taking over for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a kind of co-creation or, you know, something that's an extension or augmenting uh, human creativity is kind of the idea. Um, I, th I don't think uh, musicians or creators, um, you know, want to have, that this whole process like automated by some sort of intelligent system that's approximating human intelligence like it's not it's not uh, what it's all about um and i think uh, so like re reframing it and thinking about um having t tools that are using um you know neural networks and these new uh, discoveries and new innovations uh to enhance what we already you know can do enhance the capabilities and extend uh, what's possible and potentially yet yeah, uncover new terrain that you know we've never uh we, we don't that yeah we've never explored before uh and um i think that's kind of for me anyway anyway personally that's kind of what it's, excites me and um i think is um the, the thing to kind of focus on when uh, working with these and and sort of communicating these new technologies to to um producers and musicians are yeah interested or curious about it what are some of the most interesting things that you've been seeing lately in this space so i know christian you read a lot of academic papers uh, i've seen a couple on your twitter that look really exciting uh, can you just talk a little bit about some of the more exciting uh trends that you've seen lately yeah definitely um yeah, so I'll first say, I mean, I think there's three things I want to mention uh, that come to mind. 
Um, the first, I think, is kind of what we were discussing about a little bit uh, before. So just to give a little bit more context on that, um, I think we've definitely seen kind of the text to audio or text to music based models getting a lot of attention in this space. And right, some of these uh, like Music LM is one of them. Um, there's Music Music Gen, I think, uh, from Meta and a few other um, similar types of models here that have been kind of in been developing and coming out in the last few years um, that kind of get this they kind of all fit a similar kind of paradigm where you train a model to, you know, you type a text prompt and basically generate some audio um, that sounds like whatever you described in that prompt. And these models all also kind of have converged on a relatively similar type of uh, oper mode of operation as well, where what you do is first train uh, this kind of model called a neural audio codec, which is, as it kind of sounds, it's somewhat related to something like MP3 codec, um, but uses a neural network to do this. And basically you first train a model that learns to compress audio into some very small kind of sequence of tokens as they're called. Um, and after you train this neural network to do that, you can then train a language model on top of those tokens basically. And then what you can do is now use that language model to generate new audio by generating a new sequence of tokens and passing it back to the decoder of this uh, neural audio codec to resynthesize the audio waveform for, for a new audio signal that technically never existed uh, before. And these approaches, you know, actually build upon like a few years of research um, like putting together multiple different components, uh, basically, uh, in order to build like one singular model that's capable of doing this kind of text to audio um, kind of synthesis. And I think that's really captured a lot of people's attention because they were able, because you know, these models are able to kind of generate a wide range of types of content. Like a lot of neural, like audio synthesis models in the past were very constrained to like, I build a model that will just generate me, you know, infinite piano uh, kind of uh, songs, right? But here you kind of have a model that will generate you both sound effects as well as music, as well as kind of environmental sounds um, and with varying levels of kind of convincing uh, quality as well. So while I think those have kind of captured most of the attention right now um, recently in the audio kind of space, um, they're not kind of what I'm most excited about personally. Um, the, the other the other things that I'm excited about are the other two points I want to mention. Uh, the other one that I think we've seen a lot of movement on recently, which uses kind of a relatively different kind of tech under the hood, um, is this kind of like voice conversion or singing voice uh, conversion, right? Which we maybe which a lot of people I think were exposed to in these kind of like AI covers, as they were called, where you kind of like applied some source separation to a pop song, removed the original vocalist, and then replaced uh, in that song a different vocalist of another uh, pop artist in the place of that other one singing that song, basically like creating a cover of a pop song from another famous person that never previously existed. Um, and this has become possible because of these kind of voice conversion models that would let you basically, actually you could sing uh, and then, you know, make your voice sound like your Kanye West or Ariana Grande and things like that, um, which I think immediately looks like a very powerful tool uh, for artists, if we can kind of get that right as far as like how the licensing works um, and how the, that uh, can play out kind of in a way that benefits everybody. And there's a lot of startups now that are working on that kind of idea, right? Um, but it, that to me seems like something that's really useful because you could actually see how, you know, someone that's not an amazing singer or someone that wants to, you know, produce a song with a different with a different type of singer than they are, you know, in their track, that would actually enable that um, in a really cool way. 
Um, yeah, so I think that's also really exciting. And the final last thing I'll mention is kind of what I'm personally most excited about um, is this area of what we kind of call differentiable signal processing, um, which is kind of an emerging research area in the last few years. And I'm very biased because this is partly what my research and uh, my PhD is focused on. Um, but the idea here is kind of slightly uh, detached from the other two topics, which are a lot about, you know, trying to generate this, generate audio um, in, a, in a general sense. And it's more about how can we build machine learning models that control, you know, existing tools? Like what if I already have a synth that I like, like DX7 or, you know, some other type of synth, or I have a bunch of audio effects, um, you know, that I already know can be used to create like a really awesome mix of this track. And I don't want to replace those with a machine learning model, but I still want a machine learning model to help me, you know, automate that process or discover new sounds. How can I go about uh, using machine learning to actually connect it with this like existing paradigm of DSP based tools, whether it's synths or audio effects. And so differential signal processing is this kind of new approach to try to facilitate like merging these two worlds. Um, and I think we haven't really seen as much movement there as we have seen in the other spaces I was just talking about, partly because it's a more difficult problem uh, to solve, because again, it's this kind of like, we don't, we're trying to like not throw away everything that we already have, right? Because these like uh, text audio models they kind of throw away all the knowledge of synthesis uh, that's baked into every existing synthesizer and they throw away all of our sample libraries, right? And they kind of replace all of it with a giant machine learning model that does everything. Uh, and so I think the this other really promising direction of, well, how could we actually better merge kind of AI tech with existing tools so we don't give up the power and the flexibility and the you know expressivity of the existing tools we have and all of that development knowledge, but still get take advantage of like the power of some sort of machine learning or intelligence system. Nice. Yeah, I, I just want to like add on that, uh, add to that, Christian, like, um, you know, you were saying about like, yeah, essentially not giving up the, the stuff that we already have that we know, um, you know, that we like or does something uh, really well. And, you know, one another example of that is, uh, you know, how we've been representing uh, music um, the, you know for you know hundreds of years or whatever like uh, and this symbolic representation and, and notation for example and i think um again instead of like using uh text interfaces um we've we've adapted like, over these years um you know other ways of representing music um and sound uh that could potentially be more expressive or, or provide more control than than using text so like there's these uh, like, symbolic uh, generation uh, symbolic generative models um, that are working with um, yeah this like in a higher level um, uh, musical uh, uh, symbolic data uh, or symbolic representations to to describe uh, and generate generate music and I think that's like yeah really another kind of really exciting area that is reusing and re uh, and um, sort of building off of things that we've already established over like you know hundreds of years essentially so. Yeah, I think there's definitely merit in, in that side of things as well. Wow. So what does this data actually look like in comparison to, I, I know that it might be difficult to describe, but can you give me an example of how this would look different from a traditional classical music structure notation? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I, I guess like it was... Um... I mean, the data could be uh, classical music notation, but it could also be uh, there's and there's been some great research recently that's been working with like guitar tablature, for example, as a, a representation. Um, you know, so there's there are, there are more modern ways of representing 
music um, as a kind of higher level symbolic data. Uh, you know, it, that includes MIDI uh, as well, or OSC data, MIDI, uh, yeah, guitar uh, tablature. There's like uh, quite a few representations that we can leverage, I think, um, for building uh, and generating music and audio. So, yeah. That's great. I think it's a great time for us to start wrapping up. So, um, so yes, I'm once again feeling very grateful and privileged to have both of you uh, with me on this new uh, on this new podcast. And um, we're going to be doing this podcast at least once per month, uh, aiming to have that out on the last week of the month. So be on the lookout for that. We're also going to have special guests and uh, other announcements as well. Any parting? notes andrew christian yes just the um i feel like we've just scratched the surface here so yeah everyone uh stay tuned for what's uh still to come um yeah i was just like getting all fired up there like for for like another round of discussion so yeah i'm looking forward to to next month uh to explore a lot of these topics more yeah christian yeah yeah definitely um yeah there's so much to say here and i also am looking forward to being able to dive into the discussion on some of these topics with other people like our guests that we'll bring on. Um, and I'm I'm still hopeful that we might be able to see through my dream of hosting some kind of debate around these topics because, uh, yeah, I'm just interested in seeing kind of some diverse discourse around these topics of AI and audio and music. Uh, and I, 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 you know, I think uh, if you're if if you're someone that's interested in debating on these topics, if you have a strong opinion, definitely reach out to us uh, because we'd be looking uh, to see how to make that happen in a way that would be interesting and fruitful for further discussion. Um, you know, for example, even something like, you know, what is the actual impact that AI is going to have on music creators? Because you hear a lot of hype, right? You might hear, oh, AI is going to revolutionize everything in music creation, or you hear the other side of the spectrum of, oh. AI has no impact on me as a musician. I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. So I'd really love to see that kind of flushed out in detail and see where we land. Absolutely. I think I know a couple strong personalities <laughs> who may be uh, interested in getting involved in that debate. Great. I, th uh, I think also, Josh, sorry, just to add, add on, uh, on to that. It's just like these are some of the conversations that are definitely um, essential at this at this fundamental time of of these new technologies that are emerging so i think um yeah we we look forward to having more discussions with people that have that have opinion opinions to share because i think we yeah we really need to uh, address uh these topics and we, we need to start um having these conversations to sort of yeah i guess resolve potential issues or identify potential issues absolutely so much more to come in future episodes um Great. Thank you very much, Andrew and Christian. Um, once again, we'll be announcing the next episode, which we aim to have for the end of the month, last week of each month. Uh, and, um, and in the meantime, please feel free to join our Discord for more discussion on these topics. Uh, you can find out more about that at theaudioprogrammer.com forward slash community. And with that, we'll go ahead and sign off. Uh, thank you very much, Christian. Thank you very much, Andrew, and we will see you again soon. See you.